If you're ready to elevate your level of care and professional satisfaction, register today for the trusted DPC event that can help get you where you want to go. With three physician-led tracks focusing on starting a DPC practice, growing a DPC practice, and clinical expertise within a DPC practice, the Direct Primary Care Summit has content for anyone no matter where you are in your DPC journey. The DPC Summit is happening June 20th to 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Learn more and register today at dpcsummit.org. Direct primary care is an innovative alternative path to insurance-driven health care. Typically, patients pay their doctor a low monthly membership and, in return, build a lasting relationship with their doctor and have their doctor available at their fingertips. Direct primary care really, to me, means restoring the doctor-patient relationship, just being there with the patient when they need it, but also um, communication, um, accessibility, and being the human that we can be because we have more time. Direct care means skipping the insurance system and really giving direct access to the patient, giving quality time and care that patients deserve that we have lost in this healthcare system. I'm Dr. Melissa Mandala. And I'm Dr. Micah Yu. And this is our DPC story. Dr. Melissa Mandala is a Southern California native and a double board certified family medicine and lifestyle medicine physician. She obtained her medical degree from Chicago Medical School and holds a master's in healthcare administration and biomedical sciences. She completed her family medicine residency and the first lifestyle medicine fellowship at Loma Linda University Health. She was awarded the lifestyle medicine diplomat or specialist from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine as well. Additionally, she has a special focus on mental health and has completed a primary care psychiatry fellowship through UC Irvine and UC Davis. Her husband, Dr. Micah Yu, is an integrative rheumatologist who incorporates complementary medicine with traditional rheumatology. He is double board certified in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. He obtained his MD from Chicago Medical School and also holds a master's in healthcare administration and biomedical sciences. He completed his internal medicine residency and rheumatology fellowship at Loma Linda University as well. He has also taken courses in functional medicine through the Institute of Functional Medicine. And recently, he was accepted with a full scholarship to the Andrew Wheel Integrative Medicine Fellowship at the University of Arizona. Dr. Yu has a very unique perspective on autoimmune disease and arthritis, as he is not only a treating physician, but is a patient with gout and spondyloarthritis as well. Together, they opened Dr. Lifestyle Clinic in November of 2020. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mandela and Dr. Yu. Hi, Muriel. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Such a pleasure. Always wonderful to talk to fellow Californians. Yes, it's nice. We, we're spoiled by the sunshine, but it's such a good connection to um, have so many things in common. Melissa, you are a family medicine doctor who also did additional training in primary care psychiatry. And Micah, you are a rheumatologist doing also integrative health. So it's so wonderful to have you guys on the podcast and to hear your story. And I wanted to start off with, were you guys employed physicians at any point before you opened Dr. Lifestyle? Yes, great question. You know, when I finished my training, first I did the family medicine residency at Loma Linda, and then I did the one-year fellowship. But that one-year fellowship is pretty unique because you're actually um, half in attending and the other half in training. And so I would still keep up my family medicine skills. And that was my goal, you know, do as much as uh, procedures, do as much of variety as I could, see really complex cases. And then I was doing some inpatient work with lifestyle medicine and outpatient lifestyle medicine. And then I also did some urgent care at that time, which I I do enjoy um, once again, because you get to work quickly and make decisions fast when you when you can and then um after that I did a, my fellowship I I did a primary care psychiatry but during that whole time I also was teaching residents in the family medicine and the preventive lifestyle medicine and so that was just really good for I would say my growth and my my understanding of what you know 
the healthcare system is. I worked in a tertiary center, academic setting, and it, I love academia, learning the articles, working with students and residents, but I also loved um, the freedom in in other settings. Like that's why I, I, I just did other projects. I, I was more of a, with someone who had a created side of me. And so I, I didn't really want any limitations to that. So I actually interviewed so many times at different clinics and hospital systems just to be curious and just to see um, what they offered and how I would fit into their system, how they would compensate me, how if they would give me time with the patients that, you know, not just the 15 minute visit with um, a patient, but longer. And that was where everywhere I kind of looked, I just didn't feel like there was a match for me and what I wanted to do. And so, you know, I could have been, you know, waited maybe five, 10 years till I saw something where you can like build from the ground up in a system, or I thought, well, if I can just do it myself, I can start right away. So that's what I did with um, going into private practice. That's so interesting because it's almost like you were interviewing different programs to see what was the right fit for you. And I think that's really empowering to hear that because too often, and I feel that that was almost my experience too, in that I was on the opposite end, um, wondering who would hire me versus who do I want to work for? So I really love that that was your experience and that you had so many exposures to pull from when you obviously developed Dr. Lifestyle. And what about you, Micah? Had you been employed uh, prior to opening Dr. Lifestyle? Yeah, so um, I finished my rheumatology fellowship this past summer of 2020. Um, I started moonlighting at a county hospital as a um, nocturnist and also um, at another hospital system as well. So I've carried that on. So I'm currently still doing one day a week of rheumatology clinic at a county hospital, as well as working as a nocturnist one or two nights a week. Um, And then I also... um, was an independent contractor at a group practice as well prior to opening um, Dr. Lifestyle. When we share our story, it's interesting because when I did interview, I want to just add this in is like you, you get to realize um, just how the system works. Like, you know, for some systems, it's RVU based, other systems, it's based on performance. Um, others is patient satisfaction, you, you know, meeting their five stars and criteria. And, you know, I, I've had, I worked in an FQHC too, and then that, and I love working in the industrial community. And I, I've just learned so much and seeing the variability. Um, but then I also understood, you know, that um, insurance was always the barrier. <laughs> and so, um, and that did not dictate quality care. Even lifestyle medicine, if you try to bill it, like they equate it to putting a Band-Aid and giving ice. So, and like that's kind of what they do in in terms of the insurance world. It's very tricky to get um, compensated. So um, that's why we had to work on this side. And we knew for from day one that we needed to work hard and work other places because we we both wanted to go into private practice for um, for a long while. And when I say long while, it's because in the beginning, we we're like, oh, we, we just like that. We like the idea of having um, our own clinic, um, having our freedom in, mm-hmm. in that sense, working together as um, a couple and then just being able to you know, learn in a sense, like the hard way, building something from the, from scratch and even learning a little bit of the finances or the marketing. So it kind of um, was a nice fit, but as you know, you know, and you've probably heard from others, it's, there's always ups and downs. Are there even codes to fairly represent lifestyle medicine in 2021 or is a lack of representation, a fair representation in those codes also adding to the frustration that made you guys leave? Yeah, no, great question. I would say in the past five years or so, they've tried to bill for time, um, you, you know, all the lifestyle medicine education and the counseling, and that that sometimes works. Um, and it depends on your payer mix too, um, you know, PPOs versus your HMOs. Medicare, um, inpatient, outpatient side, you have to like bill based on complexity. And that's, that's actually the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has a whole, if you're a member, but also if um, you join certain interest groups, there's a whole um, 
group of physicians who are trying to master the, the codes of Medicare and see how they can be reimbursed. So it's not impossible. It's definitely possible, but you need administration to also support that. And you need um, to be flexible. And because most of the time you're doing the heavy lifting as a provider, showing your administration how you can um, get that reimbursement uh, and, and building that buy-in and leveraging it to your point and saying, yes, um, just give me some time and I'll show you that it works. And but now there if you get, you know, groups of physicians to who actually and give examples of um, doctors who've been able to do this, it, 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 it does work in the inpatient outpatient side, but it's all pioneered. Right. It's all new. So that's why. Um, the the direct primary care just makes sense for me because it's I do it with every patient I I I'm able to do it more frequently I am able to just address lifestyle medicine in a way where I don't have to worry at the end of the month and have that pressure and 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 just know that if it works for my patient I'm I'm going to do it so that's kind of the the conviction I have but I and I still um, am highly involved in the Loma Linda, I would say, um, as a, as volunteer faculty there still. So I, I kind of, I, and I want to make that, a, I hope a reality on both ends, right? <laughs> insurance and non-insurance, but right now, um, we're really happy with Dr. Lifestyle and where it's going. And Micah, with you being a nocturnist and still having moonlighting gigs at the hospital, do you still carry Medicare? I do because um, once you are contracted with Medicare, any facility you have to take that federally, uh, nationally as well. So I do take Medicare in my office. That's the only assurance I do take. And then Melissa, when did you opt out of Medicare? Yeah, great question. So that's like, um, there are so many times I was like, let's opt out. I I actually covered a lot of COVID um, urgent care locally. Um, And so I that was just to cover like startup costs of doctor lifestyle. That's to also keep my skills up and to be able to you know, you're when you're doing direct primary care, sometimes you just sit around and you're like, okay, we're not only where are the patients, but like you kind of, you, you want to kind of be a little bit busy. I'm not used to just having one day a week of patients. <laughs> so that's why I had to pick up some shifts. So I, I'm still like, I'm actually in the verge of opting out. And it's because like I, most of my patients are not necessarily Medicare and they're okay with me not doing billing for Medicare and things like that. Gotcha. And then once you are opted out, um, will you still be able to work with the residents? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Your calls for more content have not fallen on deaf ears. I am so excited to announce the My DPC Story Patreon community. Delve into exclusive full-length interviews with pioneers like Dr. Niti Kapoor, our inaugural physician guest, and get further enlightening insights from our current season's doctors, starting with Dr. Harpreet Sui. Hear our guests share even more, from their worst days to their best days and everything in between. Get access to this treasure trove of conversations and more by joining our My DPC Story community now. Check out the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash my DPC story fan. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash my DPC story fan. Um, and that's the thing. That's the, the tricky part is now I'll probably just do volunteer. Um, uh, and that's just because of legal reasons. So, um, but when I can definitely work with residents and students, that's completely fine, which is a joy, but I don't necessarily can do patient care through Medicare. How about having residents or students come out to Dr. Lifestyle and see you guys at work in your clinic? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that question. Yeah, we get that all the time in terms of interest. So, uh, so we have students that do um, reach out to us often and we have some pre-med, pre-health residents. I mean, students come virtually or in person once in a while. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of fun too. And I think, you know, we, we know how it is not getting that opportunity, especially during COVID times. 
Um, one of the things that I want to highlight here before we get back to talking more about your practice is the fact that you guys hosted the Asian American Pacific Islander Summit at the end of 2020. And 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 I attended that because I was so, it reminded me so much of my undergrad days being in the Filipino Association for Health Careers at UC Davis and just being surrounded by fellow Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. So can you guys share a little bit about what that was? And is this a, an annual thing that you guys are putting on? Well, thank you so much for mentioning that. And, you know, it's it's really a timely thing because, uh, you know, racial representation, diversity is sometimes um, kind of the last thing we talk about <laughs> because there's, um, we, it's just either as Asians, we, we're either hiding away from our ethnicity because we're just trying to do what we do without, like, it's sometimes uncomfortable. <laughs> And and awkward and and I think now we're just beginning to um, be tired and gain um, our voice and and also more confidence um, and because we're all, I think Asians we're just all about supporting others to be honest um, and it's kind of that care, caregiver mentality we kind of put ourselves you know, kind of like at the end, just like when we do doctors patient um, care, you know, we serve and serve and serve and so. I think what um, was really special during, for the AAPI is just we have everyone's stories just come to life and why they did um, why they did medicine and what their story was in terms of the difficulties they face as uh, an Asian American and comparing it to how maybe their their immigrant parents lived their lives um, and knowing that you know the the immigrants do have a special need um, as well and so. I think um, that we'll see what happens after that. Um, I know we got and we got interest and we got people who um, were wanting us to come back again. But just like at, at anything else, right? It's just like how do we manage our, <laughs> all these passions of ours? But I at, through and through though, um, every so, you know consistently we we try to bring that to the forefront. On a bias note, I do hope that you guys continue. Uh, it was it was really well rounded, and I I was really impressed at how um, you guys put together a whole summit on online. That was amazing. Yeah, no, you know, in in DPC world, everything is a be, uh, an experiment at times, right? Um, you have to be able to take risk um, and either know that it's the meaning behind it or the money that you front sometimes, but the, you won't reap the benefits till sometimes later on and you just have to stay faithful to it. Thank you for opening that platform up to others who are interested in healthcare careers, for sure. Um, I know that going back again to my days at UC Davis, just remembering how in awe I was to see um, all of these professionals. There was a pharmacist, John Aquino, who would always speak at our Filipino health conferences. And the idea of especially undergrads, pre-meds, and medical students who haven't yet chosen their path to see professionals succeeding at what they're doing is, is just really awesome. So, um, again, I, I, I'm biased when I say, I hope, I hope that does come back next, this year. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Now I want to ask about with you guys having been exposed to the fee-for-service world, Micah, with you still being a nocturnist and doing some moonlighting, how did you guys come to learn about direct primary care and direct care? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's pointing to me because this actually came um, through me. And I, I, I often forget this because we, we just do it <laughs> at this rate. Um, just kind of like with lifestyle medicine, like, oh, how did you find out? It's because of um, kind of my digging. Like, seriously, I was just hunting for something different because sometimes you get burned out. Like, in, And that's the reality. A lot of physicians get burned out by training, by the system that they see over and over. It's just no longer engaging. And you're just looking for something that's um, personalized and so I what I did was I went to a AAFP conference um, that was specifically for GPC. Um, I, I did a lot of research on private practice and like, and then kind of looked at, I can't even remember the blogs and things, but I just remember I started reading a lot of books and like printing every single lecture and like digesting it because I knew this makes sense. Um, and just, you know, all the, all the pioneers who started it before, I kind of just saw what 
what they've done. And I, and, and it, it was a leap, right? You know, younger, younger physicians going straight into this, but I said, well, they've done it. It makes sense. And the, there's patients looking for this there for every doctor, there's going to be a patient and for every patient, there's going to be a doctor. And so I thought, you know, if, if my, if I'm happy, I'm sure my patients will be happier too, because um, they're getting the care that they deserve. And so literally going to these conferences, um, I think Micah, um, I told Micah, I gave him all a binder of things and told him to listen to all these webinars. He went to the nuts and bolts DPC uh, and, and we just ran with it. Um, and we knew that it, if we didn't do it now, we'd probably get stuck in traditional medicine. And Micah, how about your answer to the same question, but related to rheumatology? Right. So, I mean, I, so I learned about direct, like primary care, specialty care through Melissa. So I figured I would be able to apply this to rheumatology and I didn't want to be stuck in a system where I would be turning patients every 15 minutes, like in rheumatology, like you spent 15 minutes just talking about symptoms and side effects of medications. So I figure, you know what, I'm moonlighting on the side. Um, so I have the capital to take risk right now. So um, I did it and I have no regrets. It's um, the best thing I could have done for my own um, clinic, my own practice. I've spent an hour with my patients. It's amazing. Um, Ellen McKnight out in Florida, who um, I reached out to, who um, was basically a mentor for me, but she um, she's still in the insurance system in a certain extent. Um, so I just want to just cut out insurance completely because um, I'm doing integrative and functional. So there's no way, there's no system that will be able to accommodate what I'm doing. It's so specialized. Right. And then you, I like, if you open your eyes, like there's other medical services out there, um, you know, chiropractors and other types of um, healthcare providers. Um, if it's um, health coaching, just there's, there's, it's out there and they, they know how to not use insurance, right? But medical doctors, we just, we didn't, we weren't trained. We, no one really does it. So, you know, just like, at, just people like, I was thinking people get their hair and their makeup and done or, they, um, you know, men get their, get a fix up on their car and they spend all that money. And so it's really the value um, at the end of the day, it's who you are and the value you bring to the patients. Um, and, and I, and I think we just forget to value yourself and all that hard work that we've done. Thinking about DPC and being in the DPC space, it's very interesting that you mention other business models that are related to healthcare, not necessarily doctoring. It is wonderful that this movement is growing and patients are being more comfortable with, wow, I can actually pay my doctor as well, just like I pay these other professionals, but they're getting a physician behind their dollar rather than, you know, relying on what their insurance will provide them. Now, Micah, I want to highlight again, that you are doing functional lifestyle medicine as well as rheumatology. And Your story is very unique because as you share on your website, you have also been diagnosed with spondyloarthritis as well as gout and at a young age. And so I want to ask, what was your experience like as a patient in, in the healthcare system and how has that impacted your practice now that you have your own clinic? Right. That's a great question. Um, it's played a tremendous role, um, me as a patient. So uh, yeah, I got diagnosed with gout at age 17. And then my diagnosis really, my joint pain transformed over the years to a point where the rheumatologist didn't really know what was going on besides gout. Um, and it really took over probably 10 years for me to get my second diagnosis of spondyloarthritis um, by the rheumatologist at my residency at Loma University. Um, luckily, um, they figured it out. But I... I was taking my medication for gout, um, but I didn't want to take the medications for spondyloarthritis. Um, just as a patient, <laughs> as a doctor, being a patient, uh, doctors are the worst patients. Um, so luckily, I I found food as medicine for me. Um, I was able to pretty much put my disease to remission just using food alone and lifestyle alone, which is not very popular in rheumatology. Um, it's not very um, spoken about. We don't really study food in rheumatology. That's where my lifestyle medicine 
came in afterwards. Um, after I found that this actually worked, um, I started doing in. I, I enrolled in my second fellowship in integrated medicine. I'm doing functional medicine. Um, there's so much that we don't talk about in traditional conventional medicine that is can be so far powerful for patients. That's why I created my own clinic, my own practice, um, because I can't practice in the 15-minute model. There's no way. My goal is to heal patients, to minimize medications. And if you're in a conventional model, all you're doing is adding medications because there is no time to tell about anything else. We talk frequently about being physicians, but it's not often that we talk about being patients as well. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Before Dr. Lifestyle, you guys were part of a group practice. And as that was a stepping stone in your path to opening Dr. Lifestyle, I want to ask what were some of the things that you guys learned as pearls that you took from that experience in working with other people before opening Dr. Lifestyle? Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, Dr. Lifestyle, when you say like we opened in um, November, which is like the holidays, right? Um, right after Thanksgiving and 2020 during a pandemic, like two things that people are like, what are you doing? And you're kind of crazy. And then, but then we like, we, we did so much soul searching um, and so much, um, I was seeking out our mentors and mentors coming to us um, because, you know, Dr. Lifestyle actually started earlier, like two years ago where, where we, before that date where we were just kind of just on social media and and sharing the things we loved if it was uh, you know the things we learned through lifestyle or recipes or connecting with others and just being genuine and you know um we didn't realize how um you know kind of special that was and like any group practice you share overhead you have to um in a way where you have to think about the staff too do you get the necessary staff you need when we're in the doctor lifestyle we can actually can can gauge when are we ready to get um, staff when are we ready to buy extra things or not actually not need that and so I think um, for us in it you know, it's important for us to kind of see the ins and outs of a practice um, rather than kind of joining something that was already established. And so just like with any group practice, there's different levels of group practice and, you know, different definitions of partnership and different phases and how, what does it take to be a partner? And so um, I think if you group or independent you really got to know what you're getting yourself yeah. into you have to you know when they say ask the lawyers you should <laughs> you ask multiple get so many opinions um, um and if you have mentors ask everyone around you ask, ask the very experienced ones um like people who've been in the practice and then know people who are new um who kind of are are actually maybe a little bit more entrepreneur-like. So you have to kind of know who, not only who relates to you, but also who will tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, so the number one, I think, takeaway is look at the contracts, make sure you get a contract. We, we got an independent contractor contract out of that group practice, but we expected more. So number one is always get have a lawyer on your side. That was our biggest takeaway, huh? And reaching out to mentors, really examining as someone that's coming out of training, we're very naive coming out to the real world. And the more experienced doctors, time and time again, there's so many stories of this. They'll take advantage of the younger doctors. And um, so that is something that's out there. That's my message to people that are listening, med students, residents that are thinking about coming out and maybe working with other people is really reaching out to any of us that have gone through it because there's always somebody out there that is looking to make a buck off for you, even though they're a doctor. Yeah. And I would say, you know, sometimes you don't even know what questions to ask. And so um, I always had my questions ready when I interviewed for each practice, if it was a private practice or the bigger practices and, and knowing, okay, can I look at your books? Um, I need to see the numbers. I need to see the P&L. I, I, I need, we talk to accountants, we talk to lawyers and knowing how um, that translate, is that truly profit? Um, is, is that your gross? Is that, um, where are the expenses where are the personal expenses where where are 
Um, where's the money flowing? Um, is there debt in the practice? These are hard, hard questions to ask, but they have to be answered. And you have to ask, ask these questions before you really join a practice because once you're committed, that contract's probably two years, three years, um, and you don't want to waste your time with something that's not going to be fruitful in the future. Right. And and in, and that's why when I said there's different definitions of partnership, you want to know the terms of that partnership and how long does it last? What are your voting rights in that group practice? Um, those are real things because that is, that is your kind of your long term goals like that affects you five, 10 years down the line. Um, and then and then you always want to protect your intellectual property, too. Right. If you're someone who's creative and you have ideas, if you come up with um, anything, if it's a protocol, if it's a class, you know, all these things that I, you know, Mike and I do, like we want to always know that that's protected. Um, and so if and for anyone out there to develop a contract, make sure that it's included in the contract. Did you guys work separately with a lawyer who was focused on the contract as well as an intellectual property lawyer? Um, you know, we didn't have to because we, by that time, we just knew um, we didn't have to do that. But I know for those patients, or I'm sorry, those physicians who work in group practices or in big systems, they have to modify their their contracts. For example, social media, right? Social media, everyone's on social media, but now big organizations are saying you can't either be on social media or they're trying to have a say in what you do there. So you have to kind of just have that conversation. There's power in social media and you may definitely want to support what they do and they want to support you. And you can have like this very mutual, positive relationship between you and your employer. But um, when you're in that transition with whatever you're doing, just make sure you get the help from a lawyer. I'm really glad you're bringing this up. I I had a a similar delve into the legal aspects of physician contracts with Dr. Adam Schulte down in Yorba Linda and another fellow Californian um, with the idea that contracts these days, especially if they're an evergreen type contract, can be very restrictive. I mean, even to the point where if you make money off of social media, a contract can be written such that the employer actually owns that money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's a very, very common now. And they actually want you to disclose everything, like all your social media involvement, all your potential affiliations and potentially even how much. So it's it's just, it's because now they're valuing social media and they're trying to just take it all they can, which is kind of crazy. (laughs) Now, when you guys were transitioning from Dr. Lifestyle to Dr. Lifestyle Clinic, I'll clarify on that point. What were some of the startup costs that you guys faced in finding a physical location and opening up a practice on your own? So the space that we got was an empty build out. Literally, it was uh, no walls, no ceiling, no flooring. So the owners of that building helped fund the costs of building out the entire space. And our rent is a five-year contract. So those costs were built into our contract. Um, I mean, those were the main costs, right? Um, and then, of course, the basic, like the medical exam. The oh, yeah, EKG, that's right. That's right. The, the medical exam table, medical EKG, supplies, EKG um, office supplies. front desk table, our desk. So those all added up. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't too bad. <laughs> it, was, it was not as bad as we expected. Do you guys have any tips or tricks for people in the startup phase in terms of keeping overhead down when they're looking for things like EKGs or exam tables or even a, a building? Yeah. So as far as um, medical supplies, there are, there, just look on Craigslist, offer up. Um, I would recommend that. We found somebody near us that bought secondhand supplies as a wholesale and would sell it to doctors. So luckily that worked out for us. And as far as finding space, get a commercial commercial realtor and they can help you find space. So you can just look online too. But sometimes what they list online isn't everything there is. Yeah, and I would say, you know, there there are going to be temptations and say, oh, I want a nice big space and I can see myself using that room and this room and filling up with this room. And, you know, I'm going to have another provider. Really, in the beginning, we really, we only have three rooms um, and it's really small, 490 yeah. square feet. No, it's oh, bigger than that. Oh, six, six, oh sorry. It's almost 600. Six, almost 600. So our exam room <laughs> is our office. So each one, so that's two rooms and a third room, we just... We have um, like a massage therapist renting it with us. And do you guys have staff in your clinic? 
No, right? Not right now. We pick up the phones. So we, we yeah, pick up each other's phones. Um, we do everything. Yeah, from beginning to end, we we're, we're <laughs> we just take turns, and that's it. Like creating a schedule ahead of time and making sure we know who does what and and planning ahead and um i think that's that's what's always helped us just like we if you kind of play lean then you're able to invest in something else how do you manage your patient scheduling it's pretty flexible and wide open i know that i he tends to do Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and I tend to get the beginning of the week. Um, and so um, patients can definitely decide even three months out if they wanted to schedule or the uh, obviously with DPC the day of or the next day, um, as long as we're always checking. So I think um, we've, we just always have to be accepting of change <laughs> and, and knowing when to also um, ask each other for help and say, you know, we need a break for a day and a half, or half a day. <laughs> Let's not work that. And, and then we can. Mm-hmm. I think that's really highlighting how you guys are practicing what you preach, right? That you're doing lifestyle medicine and that also involves taking care of yourself. So the fact that you're building balance into your schedule is wonderful. And it goes to the heart of DPC and that you're able to do that in, in this model. Mm-hmm. It helps that there's two of us in this clinic. So we pick up each other's phone calls. If someone needs to do a fast, we do it for each other and call a doctor's offices. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I need um, pre- preparing the point of care, um, taking vitals, we'll take turns, things like that if we need to. What are some time management skills that you guys have picked up that you couldn't live without these days? As you know, with everything, sometimes you're you're going to have seven days a week in terms of working on something, right? There's projects, there's things you need to pick up in terms of admin or you're looking at your finances, you're looking at um, marketing ideas, you're you're just always thinking. Um, but then at the same time, what well, we we at least one day or even two days, <laughs> we give ourselves to to wind down to either like see family, obviously, or um, go outdoors, have a hike, have a life. <laughs> and, and even during the Micah has long hour stretches, he makes sure he rewards himself. Yeah, I um. I mean, time management is something that's hard. We literally work seven days a week because we're on social media. We have to manage our clinic. We have other business ideas. Um, I work 32 hours straight from Sunday night to Tuesday morning. I do two nocturnal shifts and I have a full day of rheumatology clinic in between. Um, And I take Tuesday off just relaxing and doing admin work uh, when I come home. And then Wednesday through Friday is my private practice. And then weekends (laughs) are the weekends, right? The weekends, we actually see family quite frequently our friends frequently we we go out there do hiking um but we do it in a like two hour gaps like okay two three hours family time but it's high yield this recharges us (laughs) um I don't think we can do a full day of doing absolutely nothing (laughs) but we can at least um know that we you know, we were the type of people who actually traveled a lot um, and did backpacking. So we're in a way where like we've did a lot of fun things already that we were comfortable of not having to do, um, not having to do something pleasurable every single time because we love like it actually feeds us. It, it is rewarding because when we do have our patients, it doesn't drain us. We actually have more energy <laughs> at the end of the day. That's awesome. Now, I wanted to shift the conversation a little bit to talking about your guys's individual experiences with Micah, your acceptance to the Andrew Wheel Integrative Medicine Fellowship, and then Melissa with you doing the Loma Linda Fellowship. So Micah, could you start us off with what is the Andrew Wheel Integrative Medicine Fellowship for those of who are unfamiliar and how was it that you amazingly got a full ride scholarship and congratulations on that? Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, so I, Learning about the field of integrative medicine during my fourth year um, interview trail when I ran to um, some med students um, that were very interested and started talking about it. That's my first exposure to integrative medicine. And that's where I started investigating what this is and fell upon the University of Arizona's integrative medicine program. I've always wanted to do it. Unfortunately, there's only so many residencies and med schools that actually offer this program as part of their curriculum. If you don't have it built into your residency curriculum, then it's a lot of money. 
it's like forty thousand US dollars um, to do this two year fellowship. Um, I inquired it during residency, and it was just a lot of work just to get it started. So, so there's a a scholarship just for rheumatologists who want to give back to the community, who want to teach future rheumatologists about the power of integrative medicine, and that's where my passion lies.、Um, but I applied for it. There's only one scholarship per cycle. And I was shocked that I even got it. So I would not have be doing this program if I didn't get that scholarship. It's forty thousand US dollars. I was like, there's no way I'm paying that.、Um, but this、um, program is a two year virtual program. You spend three weeks out of two years at the University of Arizona, just connecting and learning. But you learn so much. You learn about how food is medicine. You learn about botanical medicine. You learn about how supplements interact with medications. You learn about Ayurveda, Chinese medicine. You learn about acupuncture, aromatherapy, environmental medicine, mind-body medicine as well. So you learn so much that's so applicable to patients. And Melissa, can you tell us a little bit more about the details of the Lifestyle Medicine Fellowship at Loma Linda? Sure. Yeah. So the pillars are. For lifestyle medicine, for those who may not know, is nutrition, exercise, sleep, emotional well-being, stress management, and really helping with tobacco cessation and reduction of risky substance use such as alcohol. And so, it's really based on prevention, prevention, treatment, and and even reversal of chronic diseases when possible.、Um, and using all these factors, and so. Um, I was the second fellow to enter this fellowship. The one before me, she actually was a surgeon, and the one after me was an ER physician. So、uh, it is pretty unique because American College of Lifestyle Medicine they have a board, but that's just you know that's through a review book and some CMEs.、Um, there's not necessarily clinical hours that you put into it to the point where you have the mentorship and the specialized experience in it. So、um, it's now going on year. At Loma Linda, that's it's the first one and only one right now. But now they're trying to replicate it in other states、um, virtually. So that's、um, some good news there. Um, and there's other pathways too, where if people have that lifestyle medicine residency curriculum、um, in their residency, and usually the residency is primary care and I would say preventive medicine, then you're able to also gain that fellowship in a in a different pathway. So there are if articles on how you can get that through the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and so you can actually do some research there. And I'm always happy to help because it's it's we need more doctors、um, that can deliver. Lifestyle medicine, and I would say same thing with Micah、um, is that it, it's it's our it's a blessing and an opportunity that we that we know that there's a big gap, right? We didn't necessarily learn how to use nutrition as medicine, and so that's why we had to、um, actually find that extra. The extra training so that we can answer those those patient questions because those questions never leave us in medicine. People are always be on a diet. And as was mentioned in your biography, you also did the primary care psychiatry training. So, I, I want to ask, how did those overlap for you? Yeah, thank you. So I was a psychology major in college, so I always enjoyed the human behavior and cognitive thinking, and how sometimes distorted thinkings can really impact health outcomes and behaviors and addictions. And so that's why I actually was someone who was like, oh, psychology or psychiatry or family medicine, and I just still felt family medicine was for me. So I did that, and then even after I did family medicine, I said,、ah, I still want to do some more psychiatry. So. Um, I did that,、um, and it's you know it's through the virtual UCI and UC Davis. They have a program there, and so I thought I I can do it as I um, um, as I could. And you know it's mainly you know they also have opportunities if it's under if you're in an underserved population, which I was in the FQHC, so that kind of helped. So I didn't have to、um, pay, and I got a scholarship too for that. And I definitely would say to the listeners, if anyone is interested, it's easily found online, and we'll put that link on the blog. But I know that there was some issues with funding in 2020 due to COVID. But check out the program if you're interested for 2021. There, there might be a possibility of other physicians getting、uh, the the scholarship as well. So thank you for sharing that. Now, going back to the creativity that you spoke about earlier, and being able to Do things that interest you and that 
are really at the core of what type of medicine you want to practice. You have an e-cookbook that talks about a 52-week challenge. So can you share with the audience what that is, how you developed it, and, and what have you seen as a result of making this cookbook? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you to Spruce Health for supporting the My DPC Story podcast. The ways we communicate have changed dramatically over the past decades, but technology and tools in healthcare have not kept pace. Patients want more access and digital convenience, as well as the ability to text their care teams. Care teams are inundated with more communication and rising expectations, but are still using tools and technology stuck in prior decades. Spruce Health created a solution for the tech-forward DPC practice by creating a communication product designed to serve both the patient and the doctor through intuitive HIPAA-compliant workflows, tagging, scheduled messages, and triage templates ready for use, whether you're on your phone or in the exam room. New users get 20% off for the first 12 months of a paid plan with code MARYAL20. That's M-A-R-Y-A-L-2-0. So check out Spruce Health today at sprucehealth.com or check out the link in the show notes. Yeah, no, thank you. I... So same thing with the Dr. Lifestyle, originally social media, we just put out a challenge as we learned for ourselves with that plant-based medicine helped, you know, Micah's autoimmune disease, it also helped with my IBS and my mood issues. And it just overall health that every week we put out a challenge and ask people to join us and pick a plant type of food and create a new dish. And so we shared recipes during that time and it was 52 weeks, like one year. And, you know, over time, when, when Instagram wasn't even that big yet but people were actually you know sharing these recipes and even physicians were kind of just sharing their experiences with the food and just that new um, familiarity of learning new recipes was to us like really rewarding because some people don't know how to even shop for produce or spices or herbs and create a dish so that's what we ended up doing we just recorded that we I, I kind of just kept a log of all of those recipes and um, and my the content I built around it and then wanted to collect it and put it all in one um, and that's just been nice because every a lot of people want that from me still and I'm like oh here it is because it's kind of, as you know um, it it's nice to have it in a collection um, because with Instagram it's hard to scroll like a year back and get that so um, that's the nice thing is that just like my guide online, you'll see um, basically how to transform your diet to plant-based eating. Um, we were able to just kind of organize it and brand it and just make it come to life. So that was that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. What about the classes that you offer as well, Melissa? So, you know, when I was in my Lifestyle Medicine Fellowship, I I saw the power of group classes. Um, this is nothing new. You see it in Alcohol Anonymous, you know, Narcotics Anonymous. You see it in diabetic prevention groups. And so... I've seen this when I went to Guam and I did tobacco cessation groups over there. And it's just so nice because there's something about the group experience where people can get the support on the, on a, not date, you know, mine are just weekly, but you know, just the fact that you can um, give each other tips and tricks um, and, and it's personal. Like I, you know, I don't know what it is to be a smoker, but another smoker can tell another smoker how to stop smoking and what they've done. And so I think there's, people are always wanting community. So I actually love doing group classes a lot. Thank you for sharing that. And I definitely encourage folks to check out your website because you have, you have your class offerings there as well as the cookbook. So um, if anyone's interested in checking those out, they're, they're clearly on your website. Now, I wanted to ask about when you guys were building a practice that incorporated classes, incorporated lifestyle medicine, psychiatry for primary care, integrative medicine, functional medicine, rheumatology, how did you guys go about your pricing? That's a great question. Um, I think we just looked around what other people were, um, their prices were, and then we saw how specialized. So as a rheumatologist, I, I noticed that there's not many rheumatologists that practice the way I do. Um, and 
So, so I just looked online, see what other functional medicine and integrated medicine specialists were charging. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to be affordable uh, for patients because I still want to reach the middle class in a way. So, so I based it around that and I noticed that people are willing to pay still. And um, I'm still, I'm providing them a service that they can't really get anywhere else. So that's how I found my prices. Yeah. And, you know, I think we live in Orange County um, and obviously you um, our clinics in Newport Beach, right? And so the clientele is very, very different. Um, if we were in an, another city we, or another county, it would probably be less. Um, but if we, you know, I always look um, at what's everyone paying for, for the products and services they are in the county. If if I'm going to be below that um, price, then I, they may not see me as a physician, <laughs> um, to be honest, right? Um, you want to be at a marketable range, um, but I'm not charging thousands and thousands of dollars, but I would say I, I want to be um, have competitive prices so they value me. Um, and also, I know that um, at the same time, um, I, I'm someone, you know, since I'm like Micah, I, I would see patients every, you know, for a full hour, sometimes an hour and a half. Um, sometimes more frequently. Um, and so I had to make sure it made sense mathematically. Yeah, being in Newport Beach, everything is a little bit more pricey here. So we had to stay competitive. It reminds me of a, the conversation I had with Dr. Mitch Lee about this idea of the cheap bottle of wine mentality, right? If you price yourself too low, people might not value your services as much as they do, as much as they are actually worth. Exactly. And you guys also offer a one-off visit. So can you tell us, can you share with the listeners, what does that look like typically for your clinic? You know, the one-off visit um, typically is usually goes into a, a membership, to be honest. Um, it's kind of like, you know, they, they, those are people who are just unsure of members membership models and how they work and most of the time if they're able wanting to see you they'll just really willing to commit for the year or years to come so um, that's just there for the comfort of the patient to be honest Um, and and then that but that serves for those who maybe only want to see a doctor once a year literally there's patients like that so like there that's for you Micah, for your patients who come to see you for rheumatology and wish to use their insurance, how do you handle that type of situation? Right. Good question. So um, for patients that um, have like a PPO insurance, I tell them you can, I can give you your bill and then you just get submit your insurance for a super bill. And depending on your insurance policies, they will give you a certain percent back or none at all. And from, I take Medicare in my office still. So I just bill Medicare straight. And then I tell them eight, Medicare will cover 80% of the visit, whatever level I charge. And then um, 20% will be out of pocket. Gotcha. And then I'm assuming for the people who have dual insurance, Medicare, as well as another insurance, they can submit that super bill to their, uh, their secondary I, I don't say that for the Medicare patients because it's so tricky. So I just tell them, you know, 20% will be out of pocket. Um, just to make it very simple. I want to, again, go back to social media because you guys are obviously very creative when it comes to your practice and, and especially when it comes to social media. Melissa, you had for Female Physicians Day this year, you had a TikTok that you put out where it said that you hunted for mentors. And I wanted to ask, did you have specific female mentors that you, because you talked about talking with the older doctors, but do you, did you have any different mentors in mind when you talked about that on your TikTok? You know, great question. I think it's just the whole aspect of why, I, I mean, in medicine, right, it's a it's a narrow path. Uh, and, you know, I always owe whatever I've done because I've, I've asked questions and someone was there to answer it and someone shared their knowledge and those gems turned to um, a mountain, you know? And so um, I think um, having a female mentor is very important because most of the time, if they're a female physician, they're also a, a mom, they are balancing home <laughs> in terms of their own chores that they need to do. They balancing their relationships that matter because we're very social beings. They, and so if I, to me, I always needed to make, make sure it made 
um, was real that, you know, obviously we have our dreams, but I also want to see, you know, if, if I learn from them, I can be wiser <laughs> just like them. In addition to your TikTok, you guys post on Instagram, you have your social media following on Facebook. How much time do you dedicate to social media during a typical week? And how do you plan your material? <laughs> I'm laughing because we dedicate so much time to our t- social media. I, I don't think we even keep count. We, it's like we've been doing social media since 2018. Yeah, May of 2018. So we did it just for fun in the very beginning, just to promote um, health. Um, but it's really been a part of business now. Like without social media, we don't have business. Um, and well, every day we're on it. So at least, um, you know, it can be one or two, three hours developing content. He's a lot quicker and you'll know this about him is like, he's, he's spontaneous and I can be too, but he, he can just turn things around very fast. I, I'm very detail oriented when it comes to my content. So I can spend a couple hours on one post and he can do it in 15 seconds. So everyone, there's just, everyone's different. Mine goes viral. <laughs> so we have this fun competition with us ourselves and, 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 you know, everyone there's a so there's a social media platform for everyone and you don't like I just think just be you and be our be your be authentic authentic and find what you have fun with because if it's not your thing you're gonna just burn out or you're you're not gonna be able to be um engaging in a way where people get to know you and so uh, but to answer that question directly a lot of time multiple hours every day <laughs> and you know, I, I applaud you, Micah, because I, I, the, one of the TikToks where you were dancing behind Melissa, you were, you were going for it, man. And so I really love that enthusiasm that you had in your, in your dance moves. Thank you. She told me to dance. Yeah. I still get embarrassed on TikTok about dancing. So I'm, I'm better at just uh, saying stupid stuff or just lip, lip syncing. I think you did a great job. When you guys are talking about different platforms, do you ever evaluate which platform is getting you the most engagement and then focus on that platform specifically? Yeah, so we we start on Instagram first. Uh, We built our following on there. Before it was easier for reach. Now it's um, more limited. Like you're, it's so saturated now on Instagram that you really have to migrate to other platforms. My advice is to stick with one platform and grow it, and then you can start going off on other platforms. TikTok has a much higher reach. So some of my followers on TikTok go over to my Instagram. They, they flood over. Um, and I, I think having some presence on different platforms are, is important because not everyone's going to be on Instagram. Not everyone's going to be on TikTok. There's different users on each one. And do you guys have any planning tools that you use to plan posts for the future? So there's, you know, there's things out there like Buffer, Sprout Social, there's different platforms, but you know, your, your tools aren't as good as unless you truly use them. Right. And if you truly know the power of, of the tool, so um, you can spend the money and watch the YouTube videos, how to use them. But if you're not building habits and planning ahead and creating the content, you're just wasting money. So um, I think whatever you do choose, it's important to um, really know the need for the tools um, and then be able to check in with that, analyze what you need from the tools. Um, just like a practice, you're analyzing the dashboards of your practice, you analyze everything and so that you're able to see where what works what's worth your time and some and like I said there's some things you won't know till a year down the line where a patient said oh yeah I remember that one post and it was a year ago (laughs) and that's what kind of changed their mind to come see me so Mm -hmm. it's just you just have to be patient just like in any anything but persistent at the same time Another thing that you guys have on your website is your list of partners. And for example, you have the air doctor, you have some essential oils and a CBD oil. I want to ask, how do you guys decide that those products are the ones you want to affiliate with? And I, I'm assuming that's an affiliation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we're, we're looking for non-toxic, non-cruelty um, products that are eco-friendly um, and things that we actually use 
and things that we vent for. So the Aquatrue Air Doctor we use here, we love it. Um, we strongly recommend it. Plant Therapy is another essential oil company that we recommend uh, that we use at home also. We've used it for the past year. So we, that's why we started partnering with them. Um, some of these other companies, they reached out to us and like the CBD, CBD is really big for pain. So I, I've been looking for one. They reached out to me. I looked at their website. I vetted it and that's why I put it on their website. Yeah. And you would, you know, there's so many, just like pharmaceuticals, there's so many companies out there that are always wanting to come and collaborate and partner up. But you, you know, there's, there's hundreds, but you, you can't pick everything. You have to actually do your homework and research and make sure it aligns. There's always people reaching out to us, but we will always say we probably pick like 5% of the people that reach out to us. Cause you don't want to, um, <laughs> you're still a doctor at the end of the day. <laughs> you just gotta be ethical. Now that you've established your clinic, you've done your build out, you've developed your website, um, you have patients coming in. What are three tips that from each of you that you use to personally thrive every day? Yeah, that's a nice question to end with. And I think, you know, every day is a gift, to be honest, I I really like to begin my day with some form of um, breath or meditation, some people call it prayer, um, where I, I'm able to take time for myself and put that in the first part of my day. And so that's the tip number one. And tip number two is really being um, true to yourself by, you know, you're going to have lots of questions and maybe even um, doubts or, you know, criticism, but that's society, right? That's just what it is. Um, And so continue to just keep track of your blessings, your wins, your, all the things you accomplished, because it's always going to be worth it because there are patients who are really thanking you and who are really, truly, um, missing some care like this and so I think it's worth it for the patients um and so I I put in that angle and then number three is finding your balance finding your lifestyle is is just going to be important because you you gotta pivot when there comes uh, something you need to give your attention to and then other times you can back away so knowing when to put in your 100% versus like oh I can step back and give my 50% today um and that helps with prevention for burnout for me, I'm I'm always focusing on the long-term goals here. Um, for me, my personal health and my experience has really fueled this desire to really help people with autoimmune disease. Um, I'm trying to create a different approach to medicine, uh, and that's what really drives me. Um, informing this clinic, informing my brand on social media as well. So it's much deeper than just having a direct specialty clinic for me. And other things I use to thrive is just really eating well, eating healthy, getting those fruits and vegetables in because I think it's undervalued because if I don't eat right, then I'm going to burn out much easier. And other things I do is um, just relying on family and friends, Um, just talking to my wife Um, because there's, it's it's hard um, having a business, a small business in a time of a pandemic, um, but also doing something that's not very popular as well. So really, it's just this connection with the community also. Melissa, you had alluded to doing a lot of reading and watching these web presentations about direct primary care. But for both of you, do you guys have any resources that you would recommend specifically to listeners who could be at any stage in their direct care journey that really helped you guys develop your clinic and helped you be where you're at today? So I would recommend um, DPC Docs Facebook group. I think that was the biggest tool that we used to help ourselves. And then there's also the, I think Melissa went to the Nuts and Bolts conference. And then she also went to the DPC conference in Chicago. So those are probably the biggest tools. And now there's a My DVC podcast. So back then, if it was out there, I would have listened to it and religiously just to get ideas from how every single doctor, how they formed their clinic, because that's so valuable. Everyone has a different journey. Where you trained, where you are located really plays a big role in how you develop your practice. And now what's, what's nice is that the specialists are coming out with direct specialty care having all these tools in the toolbox really will help 
give everyone a jump start. And I think Melissa has. Yeah, I was looking at all my books. It's been a while, but um, Dr. Douglas Farago, I know he has two books. I read both of them um, really fast and like, because it was golden, like I couldn't put the book down. Um, And then he even has a journal. And so I would just journal uh, and keep track of my thoughts and then answer the questions the good questions and the tough questions. And so I've, I'm always someone who's just trying to find inspiration and, fo- and focus. And so that's what really helped. Now that you guys have shared your story, what is the best way for others to reach out to you if they want to connect after this podcast? Sure. Um, you know, I have my personal website too, if people are interested, it's melissamandalamd.com. And then I have a contact me there and that goes directly to my email because um, the website for Dr. Lifestyle is more for, I would say more for patients. And of course you can reach us there too, but I, I try to kind of keep it organized um, in that way. People who want to get to know kind of my story outside of Dr. Lifestyle, then they can um, reach me there. Um, and, but we're always open by email. If, if you find us on Instagram or Facebook, we check that obviously a lot. So you can reach out there too. And for people that want to reach out to me, um, my handle is my autoimmune MD on IG, on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok. So I always check those so they can reach out to me. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Next week, look forward to hearing from Dr. Kissy Blackwell of Clarity Direct Care in Wichita Falls, Texas. If you like what you heard today, please leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell your friends too. For more information on this episode and much more, please visit mydpcstory.com. Also, for the latest in DPC news, check out dpcnews.com. Until next week, this is Marielle Conception.